0: Each month, the Security Ledger podcast informs and entertains an audience of thousands of technology and information security professionals. If that sounds like an audience your company is trying to reach, consider sponsoring one of our podcasts. We offer per-episode sponsorship of our weekly podcasts, which feature news, analysis, and discussion of the most important cybersecurity topics of the day. Or you can commission a custom podcast to highlight your executives, researchers, and subject matter experts. To learn more, point your web browser to securityledger.com slash... Hello, this is the Security Ledger Podcast, and I'm Paul Roberts, the Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this week's episode of the podcast, number 180.
1: I hope the two of you are not concerned about this. Oh, I'm not, Al. Are you quite sure? Yeah, I'd like to ask you a question, though. Of course.
0: How would you account for this discrepancy between you and the Twin 9000? Well, I don't think there is
1: any question about it. It can only be attributable to human error. This sort of thing has cropped up before. And it has always been due to human error.
0: As long as humans have contemplated the idea of computers, they've contemplated the idea of computers that are capable of thinking and reasoning. And they've wondered about how to contend with the consequences of a computer's faulty reasoning. Stories about machines reaching the wrong decisions, logically, are the fuel for science fiction tales ranging from 2001, A Space Odyssey by Arthur C. Clarke to Minority Report by Philip Dick. So far, these warnings have been the of fiction, but advances in computer power and accessibility in recent years has accelerated the use of machine learning technology and expanded its applications and capabilities. Today, machine learning influences everything from multi-billion dollar trades on Wall Street to medical diagnoses to recommendations from Netflix about what movie you should watch next. As machine learning and automation fuel business disruption, however, what about the security of machine learning systems? Might decisions be manipulated and corrupted by malicious actors intent on sowing disruption or simply lining their own pocket? And when machine decisions go awry, how will the humans impacted by those decisions be able to tell? Our guest this week, Gary McGraw, set out to answer some of those questions. Gary is the founder of the Berryville Institute of Machine Learning, a think tank that has taken on the task of analyzing machine learning systems from a cybersecurity perspective. The group just published its first report, An Architectural Risk Analysis of Machine Learning Systems. In this conversation, Gary and I talk about why he started the Berryville Institute of Machine Learning and some of the biggest security risks to machine learning systems.
1: I'm Gary McGraw. I'm the co-founder of the Berryville Institute of Machine Learning. Gary,
0: welcome. And I think it's welcome back to the Security Ledger Podcast, because I think we've had you on before. But today we're talking about your latest endeavor, which is uh, the Berryville Institute of Machine Learning. Tell us, About the Berryville Institute of Machine Learning and uh, how this got started.
1: Well, it's sort of a sad story. So I will admit that I tried to retire and I was extremely bad at retirement. So last January, when I retired from doing software security work professionally for Synopsys, I decided to take a look at machine learning, which I'd worked in 25 years ago to see what kind of progress had been made. Because you see all this incredible coverage about now machines can play Go, now they can read everything, now they can translate all your speech into you know understand what you're saying. And I wondered how much of that was hype and how much was real and what progress had actually been made in 25 years. And I was talking to a guy who's now in the Berryville Institute with me at a technical advisory board for Intrepid. And that guy's been working in machine learning directly for the last five years or so. So we decided to put together a research group and just look into the field and read some scientific papers and see what progress has been made. What we found out is not surprising. Computers are way, way faster and data sets are way bigger. But as we were reading and learning that really it was just comp- computers have, have gotten better and, and the algorithms are pretty much the same, well, what we found is that nobody's really paying attention to security. And so it reminded me a lot, the security covers that there is, what little there is, was about attacks. For example, there's the famous story of putting tape on a stop sign and making the machine believe that it's a speed limit 45 sign, which would be hugely problematic if it was your Tesla that was doing that, for example. Or a machine learning algorithm algorithm that's supposed to distinguish between wolves and dogs. And it does a great job, but it turns out that it's not actually distinguishing between wolves and dogs. It's just a snow detector. So if there's snow in the picture, it says wolf. So these sorts of things get a lot of coverage in the press as security problems, especially with the nomenclature adversarial input. And that's good, but it reminded me a lot of software security in the early days where we were breaking this piece of software and that piece of software, and there wasn't any coverage about what we should do about this. So we just decided we would do a risk analysis, and that's what we did. It took us a year.
0: So tell us about uh, how you went about that.
1: Yeah, in a very sciency way. So we started reading papers and we just followed our way through the references. And we, at the same time, created what's a really nice resource now, an annotated bibliography, which you can find on the Berryville Institute for Machine Learning website. That's berryvilleiml.com. And in that annotated bibliography, you can see the papers that we read. We're still actively doing that. In fact, Thursday, we covered Four new papers um, that we read and and we discussed those at great length to try to determine you know which direction the field's going who's making progress who's doing trivial work and who's doing really profound earth shattering changing work and you know it's been a complete blast to put on my scientist hat again because I'm a trained scientist and think about. How do we get to the edge of this from a science research perspective and then contribute? So when it came to contribution, we decided that what was really the most needed was a risk analysis of a machine learning systems writ large. So we came up with a generic model of a machine learning system that has nine components. And then we thought about the nine components very deeply, considering what risks might be associated with each of those components individually. And we identified a whole bunch of risks that way. And then we started thinking about the system as a whole or interactions between components and identified even more risks. Mm -hmm. And what we ended up with was 78 risks that we talk about explicitly in this document. Um, and then we made a top 10 list because, you know, you got to have a listicle to put stuff like this out. <laughs> and 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 we put that out in the world and people are just going, holy cow, this is amazing. Nobody's done this before because nobody has. And it was it's pretty exciting, but, you know, kind of work that I've been doing for 25 years and now applied to machine learning. It might be useful to just step back for a second
0: and kind of uh, d- define terms here. And when we're talking about machine learning, systems. Um, What are we, how would you define that and what are we talking about?
1: So you're talking about basically an algorithm that learns to associate input with output. And so you might think about something that classifies pictures. So the machine is trained up to look at pictures and say whether or not there's a ball in the picture. So you show it you know, tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of pictures, and each time there's a ball, you say, ball. And it learns to say, ball, when it sees a ball. And when you show it a picture without a ball, you say, no ball. And so it learns to classify through statistical association whether or not there's a ball. So it's not learning by being coded a set of rules in the old way of building a computer program. Instead, it's a neural network that has weights and thresholds, and you feed back, um, whether it gets it right or wrong, you feed back through the network and adjust the weights and thresholds in such a way that the network will will end up doing the, the task that you want to train it to do. That's a very, very simple example, but by and large, that's how these things work. So you're building an associative map. Machine learning security is not about using machine learning to do security. Machine learning security is about the security of machine learning. And it's kind of like building security in versus like sprinkling magic crypto fairy dust everywhere.
0: I love magical crypto fairy dust. So you have these 78 um, different types of machine learning risk. But before that, there's a sort of taxonomy of known attacks on machine learning that you put together, input manipulation, data manipulation, model manipulation, and so on. As you guys surveyed out there, what is the state of play right now in terms of attacking uh, machine learning? So for those different. Um, types of attacks, uh, are there any that are actually very prevalent or preferred right now from those that you identified?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, the number one risk and the number one attack are pretty much the same, and that's this idea of adversarial examples. Because of the way that these things do their statistical association, you can often make a mask that is imperceptible to a human and put that over a picture and then have it categorized incorrectly. So for example, you might have something that's supposed to identify tanks, and you figure out a way to put some noise into the input so that it thinks that all tanks are cats and says, cat, cat, everything's fine. It's just a bunch of cats coming over the border, you know, no problem. So that kind of attack has gotten a lot of coverage for many reasons. One is it's kind of input that people understand because it's visual. And some people have worked on text-based adversarial input. But basically what you're doing when you're manipulating adversarial input is You're fooling the machine learning system by providing malicious input with really tiny perturbations that a human can't see, but that the machine is like, whoa, that's totally a cat, you know? And so there's a disproportionately large amount of coverage for that stuff, but it's very much real. I mean, it's got a lot of sex appeal. You can put pictures in your articles, whatever. So almost all of the oxygen in the room in machine learning security is taken up by risk number one, adversarial examples, which is not necessarily terrible, but there are 77 other risks we should think about.
0: Talk about them. What are some of those risks, um, particularly ones that you think are um, particularly salient or uh, worrying?
1: Yeah. Well, let me just march through the top 10 and then you can pick two or three out of the top 10 and we can talk more about them. Oh, perfect. You're giving me choice. I like that. Yeah, number two, it's the, this is how you you know feed kids lunch too. You're like, You want a peanut butter sandwich? <laughs> or <laughs> <laughs> So number two is data poisoning, number three is online system manipulation, number four is transfer learning, number five is data confidentiality, number six is data trustworthiness, number seven is reproducibility, number eight is overfitting. Number nine is encoding integrity. And number 10 is output integrity. And before I let you pick, I will just say this one thing. This is a kind of a meta point that's super important. We spend a lot of time in security thinking about the technical systems that we're building and risks that are inherent in those systems. But we don't spend that much time thinking about the fact that in machine learning, most of the system is the data that we use to train the system on. So when you're thinking about risks in machine learning, you have to focus a lot of attention on data issues. Where did the data come from? How do we know it's real? What if somebody screwed around with the data? Where do we store the data? Hey, which data did you use to train that thing up? All those things lead to new kinds of risks that you know nobody's really paid much attention to. Mm.
0: So the one that jumped out at me, because it's one that I can grasp and that seems like it would probably be a big issue, would be data integrity. So feeding machine learning algorithms just with bad data. So first of all, like how is that different from adversarial examples? Aren't adversarial examples just a type of bad data? Or maybe there's a difference?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, very insightful. The reason that there's a difference is because when it comes to data poisoning, we're thinking about the data that are used to train the system up in the first place. So let me give you an example. There's a machine learning system that's supposed to help people decide whether or not to hire someone. So it watches videos of candidates asking, answering questions and then says, "Yeah, hire that person or no, don't hire that person." And it makes the quote unquote decision by having you know been exposed to a bunch of old hiring decisions from before from a corporation. So you feed in all your data about what people said in interviews and whether or not you hired them and whether they worked out. And the machine decides whether or not somebody should be given a job offer. Now the problem that is evident in the data poisoning risk is this. If the data that you're using from your history are racist or xenophobic or sexist and you train the system to basically do what we've been doing for the last decade, you're gonna end up with a machine learning system that's a racist, sexist, xenophobe. That's a perfect example of data poisoning, accidental data poisoning. It turns out that the data that we were using was crappy because our corporation has racist, xenophobic, sexist tendencies that we were not aware of until we trained a machine to be like us. And then we were like, uh-oh, that! look at that. That's bad. Look what drops <laughs> out of this data. And so we have to be yeah. super cognizant of that. A, a, a yeah. really hilarious example, I mean, it's funny, but also awful, is Microsoft put out a Twitter bot called Tay. And Tay mm-hmm. had a Twitter account, and you could tweet whatever you wanted at Tay, and then it would have a little conversation with you. And Tay very, very quickly became a total asshole. Right. And, and so right. it got so bad so fast that Microsoft was like, uh oh, we better turn. Tay off, so they turn, <laughs> taste, they
0: turned it up. Send the manager out to the mound. Yeah, taste, uh, taste yeah, all time.
1: <laughs> exactly. We got to fire <laughs> Tay. You can't say that to people, even on Twitter. Like, you know, good God. So, so that's an example of what happens when you just have data coming from the public that can be manipulated by an attacker. Now, let's get serious about this. Imagine that you're using data from a public source to train a machine to do something important, like identify hotspots for virus spread in on a map now if those data are public and they can be tampered with by an adversary then what will happen is the machine will do the association but it'll have the wrong sort of data that it's doing the association on and it'll just do the wrong thing because you train it on poisoned data that's a much more serious and important example of that category of risk
0: Uh, You mentioned transfer learning attack. That's that sounds really interesting. And it has to do, I guess, with um, kind of building machine learning on other machine learning, I guess, is, is my reading of it.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So it turns out that training these things up is computationally intensive. And so if you're training up a, a convolution network with say, you know, 10 layers and you're teaching it to categorize pictures, it takes a lot of cycles to do all that training. It takes millions of cycle, you know, millions of training examples and lots of computation to get the machine trained up. And so what people have done is say, well, I'm going to train up a machine on a basic task, and then later I'm going to take that very same resulting machine, the trained up one, and I'm going to use that again, and I'm going to refine it to do a more subtle task. But I'm going to start with the already basically trained up model. So you transfer the brain, so to speak, from one machine learning system into your new one before you refine it and train it some more. That's called transfer learning. And so a transfer learning attack is screwing around with that system. You say, well, you know, if you're going to transfer something, then I'm going to make that something a terrible Trojan that has sneaky um, behavior in it that I'm not going to tell you about. So when you take my system and you start with that, you're also starting with, say, a little possible malicious behavior that you're not aware of. So you, you basically eat the whole donut, including the poison pill that's in there. That's a Trojan uh, version of transfer learning. The other thing is, you start with a machine learning system as an engineer and you start with the wrong one. <laughs> so you're like, I'm gonna just start with this one and then it does all sorts of surprising crazy things and makes all sorts of screwy mistakes no one would ever make. And then the third one is more subtle. It turns out that if you train up a machine learning system on a bunch of data, it actually represents those data inside of itself in a, in a very distributed way that humans can't parse, but the data are in there. So if you have a model that say you've trained up to do some sort of medical task and a lot of PII was used to train that thing up, those data are still in there somewhere. And the question is whether you can get them out. And if you use data, if you use transfer to, you know, start with that model with the PII sort of encoded in it somewhere, then that's going to be encoded in the new target too. And that is very, very bad because all of a sudden we're leaking private information all over without meaning to. Um,
0: another one you guys mentioned, uh, uh, Barryville Institute of Machine Learning called out, which I think is is uh, one that is going to be very problematic, is this notion of reproducibility. And, and as we lean more on machine learning algorithms to do important work, whether it's um, read x-rays or educate the fate of an accused criminal sitting in the courtroom, how does the algorithm reach that decision? And is that decision reproducible in some way in the way that, in science, we expect experiments to be reproducible if they're accurate?
1: Yeah, I'm sorry to say this, but machine learning involves a whole lot of kludging and a whole lot of, <laughs> well, we sort of got it to work and it works. And you read the literature, like even the science literature that's been peer reviewed, and they're like, well, we set all the hyperparameters empirically. And what that really means is we ran six and one of them worked. So we used the one that worked. And here's the numbers. They're like, We set this to four. And you're like, why? What does four mean? Like, what the hell are you talking about? And it turns out that there's a lot of incredibly sloppy kind of work uh, that's being used now. The results are good because the the machines do what they're supposed to do. And so everybody's excited. They're like, yay, it does the thing. Except for we're not sure why, but we're not going to talk about that part. And, you know, if somebody else comes along and they're like, hey, we're going to make our thing do that too hey how'd you do that if you read the papers there's often not enough information to figure that out or it's being held in a proprietary way that's bad because in the normal case these algorithms are inscrutable We don't know how they come to the decisions they come to. We know it's based on statistical association between data sets that we provided, but we don't know what the representation is. We don't know what the edges and the boundaries are. We don't know how people could possibly make it misbehave through adversarial input, all of those things are pretty murky. And that is all what we kind of stick under the reproducibility thing. Now, if you produce a machine that's doing important stuff and you're not sure why it does it, and then one day it does the wrong thing, like (laughs) you can't just say in the court, oh, well, you know, it's a machine. Yeah, the machine did it. And we're not sure why. It's like, well, who owns that machine? Who trained that machine up? Like, you know, coming coming soon to a courtroom near you.
0: You know, we are entering a, an era where we're relying on machines to do, you know, make many more of these decisions from healthcare decisions to uh, decisions affecting somebody's kind of freedom and civil liberties, potentially, you know, the sort of automated judge type Applications And yet, as you're saying, we often can't fully explain in terms humans can understand how a particular decision was reached by an app by a machine learning algorithm.
1: Well, this is right. And it is a huge problem. But guess what? It's also a problem for people. If you say, hey, how come you did that to a five year old? They're like, uh well, you know, I, I don't know. But somehow it's worse when it's a machine. So we are making a lot of progress. We're going to use this technology um, we need to do what we can to manage those risks. We can't just throw all this stuff away and say, oh, too dangerous to use. But we do have to just go in with our eyes open. So what we did at BIML is meant to be used by people who are either taking existing machine learning technology and putting it into their own system or designing new machine learning algorithms and systems themselves so engineers architects technologists people who are thinking about using this stuff need to read our work and think about building security in for machine learning
0: what does that mean practically
1: that means being cognizant of the risks um, mm-hmm. knowing about where your data are coming from and how you're storing it, understanding all of the 78 things that were like, this could go wrong. What would happen to your system if it did go wrong? So, you know, just thinking about it ahead of time. It's not really that hard. In fact, sometimes being aware of the risks is half the battle because then you can work your, your design your way around them. And, uh, you know, we're we're optimistic that our work is going to make a, a big difference in the way people are approaching some of this stuff and that they'll think, wow, those security guys they sure are crazy they think that oh man wow we got to work on that you see
0: <laughs> is there anyone that you found out there who is doing this right who is you know uh, doing you know innovative work around machine learning and also as part of that wrestling with some of these issues in a, in a way that's productive
1: there are plenty of groups and you know there's there's some good academics, the guys at Google Brain, Papernaut and and his colleagues are doing great work. There's some people at Microsoft that are doing very good work in, in this area. They're thinking about threat modeling for machine learning. So this is a thing that is coming into its own, you know, it's kind of blossoming. Um, all at once. The, the time is right. It's it's time for the, you know, Coonian paradigm shift to occur and it's occurring. And so the good news is there are lots of people working on it now. The better news is there are not enough people working on it now. So if you feel like you want to get interested in this stuff and get involved, there's tons of work to be done and there's tons to do. For example, what we want to do next at BIML is think about the risks that we've identified, those 78 risks, and start thinking about particular mitigations or controls that you might put in to manage those risks appropriately. So we can say, oh, if you're worried about this risk, try doing it this way. And, you know, we're just starting to think about that aspect of the work. We thought first we'll identify the risks and then we'll go from there. So, you know, job one is done or maybe step zero and there are probably 10,000 steps to go.
0: So I wanted to ask you about the relationship between this and and BSIM, Building Security and Maturity Model, which is what you developed around application security and software software security. Are there uh, similarities or connections? I mean, could we end up with something like uh, BSIM for machine learning?
1: maybe. Number one similarity is it's my work. <laughs> and we and, and we and we put it out under the Creative Commons. Number two similarity is really philosophy. So philosophically speaking, ever since the Java security days back in the mid 90s, I've been deeply interested in how we get in front of security problems. It's like, why are we always running around with our hair on fire going, incident response, cleanup on aisle seven. Oh, my God, we lost all of the records like you know, oh no, it happened again. And and instead of just
0: this keep happening.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Instead of running around squirting water random places, we're like how do we build like sprinkler systems and stuff so we stop burning down San Francisco in 1906? Like, you know, back at the turn of the century, a hundred years ago, cities would just burn down. And then people were like, this sucks. We got to have these cities stop burning down. And I think that's the state that we're in, in high tech. Philosophically, building security in is about, let's think about these things ahead of time. Let's plan for problems. Let's don't freak out instead. Let's design for security and make these systems harder to attack. Every time we're adopting a new technology, there's going to be lots of interesting security ramifications. So I've been working on machine learning, but you know what? There's a whole nother technology that's just as interesting coming down the pike and that's quantum computing. So what are the risks that are gonna come along with quantum computing? What impacts is that is that gonna have on our current cryptographic solutions? And what happens when we can compute really strangely complicated things more quickly than ever in terms of, you know, fairness and I don't know, even like social responsibility. And all of these things are, are things that are just ripe for looking into so, I hope that out there somewhere there's like a BIML for quantum computing yeah. that's making the same progress. All of these things are right at the edge. You know, life is exciting. Humans are doing some amazing stuff, but really, humans are not really taking enough time to think, gosh, what's the downside of this? Or what goes wrong if I adopt this too quickly? And that's what us security people have to be the the people that are like, hey, wait, guys, hold on, hang on. It strikes me that um,
0: it is, if you were to recruit people to to tackle these problems, you're you're both looking for people with deep computer science and, and math backgrounds, right? But also it would seem people who are well-versed in things like ethics and philosophy. I know you're like a Renaissance man and you're both a prodigal musician and scientist. And uh, what was your major? You were like a-
1: I was was a philosophy major as an undergrad, and then I got a dual PhD in, in computer science and cognitive science later.
0: Right. So, so you're one of these sort of renaissance people. But it would seem to me that you're probably looking for a mix of talents to to, to um, wrestle with this problem.
1: Well, you know, let me tell you this: the super secret of my career. So it turns out that if you get into a brand new field, nobody knows what the hell they're talking about. So if you're just remotely intelligent, you can make a huge impact. So, (laughs) computer security was what in such a state of disarray in the mid-90s that, you know, a few of us guys that are marginally smart came along and were like, wow, this is a really screwed up field. Let's fix it. And we we came from different fields. Like if you think about Dan Gere, he was a biostatistician, you know, we came from everywhere. And so everybody – there was kind of a security renaissance in some sense because everybody came with wildly different backgrounds and we all got mushed together in the same crucible, which is really cool. But every time there's an edge of technology – there's an opportunity for that sort of thing. So, that's what I said about quantum computing or about CRISPR stuff or about, you know, manipulating molecules. All of these things are coming down the pike and it's going to take people with wildly different backgrounds to get involved. So, if you think, gosh, I can't get, do anything in machine learning because I'm not a math guy, well, that's not really true. There's a lot of good work to be done in the ethics of this or where data sets should come from or how do we even even keep information private. If machines learn all this stuff and all the information's mushed inside of the machine, is it still private? What does that mean? I think it's it's fun, it's exciting. They're huge problems. They really matter to the future of us as a species and you know, it's fun to do.
0: Gary McGraw, founder of the Berryville Institute of Machine Learning and a failed retiree. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on and speaking to us again on the Security Ledger
1: podcast. My pleasure, Paul. Nice chatting with you.
0: Gary McGraw is a globally recognized author and authority on software security. He's the founder of the Berryville Institute of Machine Learning. You can find them online at berryvilleiml.com.